Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. Oh, I am moved by that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Lord, help us to love you, love the gospel, and build the very structure that you built upon that gospel, which is the church. We want to give our lives for it. We want to do so informed by the gospel upon which it's built. So help me to preach it well today and my friends to listen carefully in Jesus' name. Amen. A few days ago, about 41 years after the events of a long-ago November in Vietnam, a white-haired, retired guy named Bruce Crandall received the nation's highest award for valor, the Medal of Honor. He received it from President George W. Bush. Bruce Crandall has always been a hero to the men of the 1st Battalion, 7th U.S. Cavalry, who counted on Crandall and his wingman, Ed Too Tall to Fly Freeman, when the chips were down in a fire-swept clearing called Landing Zone X-Ray in the remote Idrang Valley in Vietnam's Central Highlands. You see, American wounded were piling up, and the only thing keeping 2,000 determined North Vietnamese soldiers from overrunning and slaughtering the 200 trapped and badly outnumbered cavalrymen was firepower and an air bridge maintained by Major Crandall and his 16 Huey helicopters of A Company, 229th Assault Helicopter Battalion. The 7th Cavalry Commander, then Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, was often on the radio and out in the open, directing the flow of helicopters that brought in badly needed ammunition and carried out the wounded. The man he talked to and depended on was then Major Bruce Crandall whose radio call sign was Ancient Serpent Six, giving rise to his nickname, Snake. When the fighting was at its worst on the afternoon of November 14th, 1965, Colonel Moore had to close the football field size clearing to the helicopters because two of them had been shot up so badly that they couldn't be flown out. Crandall's own chopper had been riddled his crew chief shot in the throat and an infantry radio operator killed before he could unbuckle his seatbelt. 
old snake knew his buddies on the ground were in dire danger and asked for one volunteer to join him in hauling more ammunition and water to them. His best friend, then Captain Ed Freeman, didn't hesitate. Together, Crandall and Freeman flew right into the jaws of hell over and over, sitting behind the thin plexiglass and looking out on the chaos of close-quarter combat while the troopers flung off crates of M16 and M60 machine gun ammo and mortar rounds and threw on to the choppers the wounded. That Sunday in November, Crandall flew 22 missions during 14 hours and carried 70 wounded soldiers to safety and a chance for life. Hal Moore, now a retired three-star general, wrote in his recommendation for Crandall's Medal of Honor, quote, If the air bridge had failed, the embattled men of the 1st Battalion, 7th Cavalry, would certainly have died in much the same way George Armstrong Custer's cavalrymen died at Little Bighorn, cut off, surrounded by numerically superior forces, overrun and butchered to the last man. I asked Bruce Crandall's brave air crews for the last measure of devotion, for service far beyond the limits of duty and mission, and they came through as I knew they would. Well, Major Crandall fought the good fight. He fought it to save his countrymen, to win the battle in the Idrang Valley in 1965. He is an example to us all of valor and of the desire to join the battle, to fight the good fight for a good and honorable cause. Like Crandall, Timothy was also called to fight a fight, and yet for a far greater cause. It was for the very gospel itself. You see, when it says that I charge you, Timothy, it's saying, I command you, Timothy. And what did God command Timothy in verses 18 to 20? He commanded him to fight the good fight to maintain the gospel as the very center of his own personal life and the life of the church in Ephesus. It was a fight for right doctrine, right living that flow from the gospel. And dear friends, God's command to Timothy 2,000 years ago echoes down through history and lands at our feet today. He's commanding us to join the fight for the gospel, for right doctrine. And as you can read in your notes, God commands us, he commands you to fight to keep the gospel central to your lives. Fight to keep the gospel central to your lives. Why fight? Well, point one, we fight for the gospel. We fight for the gospel. Corey gave us a wonderful sermon last week about the gospel. How can it be summarized? Verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. 
Oh, dear friends, see, we fight this fight just like Major Crandall fought that fight as commissioned officers in God's army. As a commissioned officer, I remember taking the oath. I swear to defend the Constitution of the United States from enemies, foreign and domestic. So what was Major Crandall doing? Defending the Constitution, defending America's interest in the Idrang Valley in Vietnam in 1965. And what is Timothy doing? Defending something far more important because America will cease to exist one day. He's defending the very gospel upon which the church is built from enemies external and internal. And what do we do? We're called to defend that gospel today, 2,000 years later, from enemies external, the world, Satan, and internal, my very flesh. (laughs) God's called me to fight to keep the gospel central to my life. He's called you to fight to keep the gospel central to your life because from the gospel, dear friend, flows right doctrine. From the gospel flows the very salvation without which you are doomed. From the gospel flows right living. Parents, don't teach your kids to do the right thing for the right thing's sake. Teach your children that the gospel gives them the grace to do the right thing. you got to fight for that. That's what we fight for. And let me tell you something. A church that joins the fight, that is filled with major Bruce Crandalls that fly into the teeth of hell to rescue their friends, who's filled with Timothys that stand tall and straight and fight for the gospel in the face of opposition, that kind of church is healthy. Why? Because that kind of church effectively connects Now listen carefully. Effectively connects gospel truth with gospel conduct. That's what this passage is about. Look what it says in verse 19a. It says the following. Holding faith and a good conscience. Gospel truth, faith. Gospel conduct, a good conscience. So the fight that we're called to fight is a fight for the right truth, which then should produce the right conduct. Listen, a healthy church is a church where the pastors and the home group leaders and every individual member is seeking to connect the dots between what does the gospel say, what does the Bible say, and now connect it to what do I do. That's a healthy church. That is what God is calling us to build. That is what point two is talking about. We fight with gospel truths. We fight with gospel truths. Funny little phrase in there, particularly if you don't come from a charismatic world, you're thinking, hmm, what does this mean? 
Look at verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Wait a second. Timothy is to fight the good fight of faith for right doctrine based upon prophecies? That's kind of weird. What are those prophecies? Well, that'd be a great question to ask. Thankfully, Scripture tells us that those prophecies are nothing more and nothing less than the very gospel that Timothy has been called to. The prophecies that Timothy was to fight the good fight of faith with are the very gospel that he was called to defend at his ordination. Now, what, what does this look like, Al? You tell me that Paul it commands us to fight this good fight, and you tell me that, that we're to fight it according to the gospel, but give me an example. Give me an example. And it's important that we have examples. Because if I don't give you an example, then what you may be tempted to do is want to obey based upon what I'm telling you. Or want to obey just because you want to be good. Or want to obey because, well, this is what they do at Palm Vista. Or want to obey because, you know, this is whatever. Fill in the blank. Or this will get me to heaven. And none of those would be right. And eventually that would lead to an unhealthy church. Paul says it leads to shipwreck. So it's very important for you to ask me, what does this look like, Al? What does it look like? Because if we don't make the connection between good doctrine and the gospel, is the fountain from which all good doctrine flows. If we don't make the connection between good doctrine and what we do, good conduct, then we will not have a healthy church. We will not be motivated by grace. So, here's some examples. You see in your notes, Romans 8.1. Let's do an exercise. How do we connect good doctrine with good conduct? All right, so what does Romans 8, 1 says? Basically, it says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's doctrine. That's gospel doctrine. Now, what's the connection I can make in that? Well, here's the connection. Let's say this afternoon you go and do something that you know you shouldn't do. Whatever. For me... Let's say I drive off this facility and I uh, really get angry at somebody in traffic. Very rare possibility for me because <laughs> I'm just such a godly guy, but it could be someone was very persistent in tailgating me or giving me the international peace symbol. I might get angry at them. So I get home 
And uh, this evening, <clears throat> my conscience bothers me. Uh, I don't want to read the word. I don't want to pray. I feel like a hypocrite. I mean, I'm the preacher, for goodness sakes. Freeze the frame. What should I do? I should joyfully confess my sin, receive God's forgiveness, and enjoy his presence. But I won't do that if the gospel doesn't change me and speak to me from Romans 8.1. So, so if you were to call me on the phone and tell me you did that, I wouldn't want to just say to you, hey buddy, just get over it man, you'll be okay. Just, just, just praise God. That's true, you should do that. But I haven't made the connection. The connection is Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The connection is you're not identified, you're not defined like Corey taught us last week by what your sin, you're defined by your Savior. So there's no condemnation. You did something that you may need to repent of, but it doesn't define you. So lift your head, man. Be defined by the gospel. There's no condemnation. You're God's son. Don't run away from him. Run toward him. So instead of just saying, get over, pal. Quit moping. I'm connecting some dots for you. Romans 8 and 1 says it. There's no condemnation for you because of Christ. Hey, enjoy fellowship with him. Now let's take another one. This, is from, this will be from me. Let's say I get home this afternoon and I say, Wow. That was probably the worst sermon I've ever preached. You might be thinking that right now. And uh, <laughs> Or I, I'm tempted to think that I'm a failure. Or you, businessmen, you're looking at Monday, and you've got a big project. <clears throat> you've got maybe some big sales that are not big. <clears throat> you've got some quotas you're not meeting. You've got some expenses that were unexpected. You've got a company that may want to lay you off. Whatever, fill in the blank. You're feeling really inadequate. You're feeling exposed. You're thinking, I'm in big trouble here. What, how's that going to affect you? I know how it affects me. I get grumpy, selfish. It's not fun to live with me. So instead of someone walking in the room and saying, would you please get off the couch just get up. Just praise God. Stop being so inward. That's not going to help me. That's not, that's not connecting gospel truth with gospel conduct. But rather, if someone comes in and says to me, hey, did you know what Romans 8.32 says? It says this. <clears throat> he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Ooh. You mean God's going to graciously give me all things, not because I deserve it, because I really don't feel like I do, but because he gave me his son? And if he gave me his son, then he's going to give me all things? So he's either going to give me the sales I need, the right ideas I need for work, uh, you fill in the blank, or he's going to give me the grace to endure the fact that I don't have all that. And I may lose my job. 
He's going to give me all things. Yeah, why? Because he gave me Jesus. Are you connecting the dots yet? If you do this, you will have a healthy Christian life. Not just a shell of a Christian life that looks good on the outside, but is rotten on the inside. Let's take another example. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Oh, that's a good one. In fact, why don't you turn to that one? Just trying to connect the dots for you here. Show you kind of how it's done. Is how I live my Christian life. It's not perfect. But I can only give you what I have. 1 Corinthians 6.18. What does it say there? Flee sexual immorality. This is a very important word for those of us that live in South Florida. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Whom within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. So when I talk to my teenage son, or a young man in the church, or an older man in the church, instead of berating them because they are looking at pornography, and perhaps doing some things with their body they shouldn't, we're all adults, you know what we're talking about, I can look him in the eye and say, Jesus died for you and bought you. Oh, gospel truth. I don't feel very holy right now. I just did it again, Al. I know, but Jesus bought you with his blood. Now, based on that gospel truth, glorify God with your body. It's not the law coming in like a hammer. If you do that one more time, I will kill you. That's what we want to do, right? And we think that's what God does to us. But he doesn't. You know what God did? He died for us and took the sin. Now, he also then commands us to stop doing it. So it's both and. But if you miss the first part, all you're teaching your children or yourself is rank, moralistic behavior apart from Christ. And that stinks. That's when we become the hypocrites. And the world says, I don't want that. That has no power. Do you see that? See that connection? All right, one last one. Actually, two. Ephesians 4.32. Why don't you turn there? Ephesians 4.32. Just connecting the dots for you. Ephesians 4.32. What does that say? You know what's amazing? I think... I think my wife washed my Bible because the letters have all shrunk. I can't see them anymore. You ever had that happen, guys? Your wa- you, she washes the and then the letters shrink and you can't see them anymore. Wow. I think, it's a, I think it's a demon that's come up here and he shrunk my Bible. Honey, I shrunk the Bible. 
You know, that's a sermon right there, bro. Don't, let, don't shrink the Bible in your life. Because ah, the Bible should be big in your life. Okay, I won't do that. I won't do that. I could do that, but I won't do that. Okay. Ephesians 4.32. You ready? Here's what it says. This, this is a word for most of us today, all right? Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. If it were to stop there, it would be rank moralism. If I just said, look, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgive. If I stopped there, it would be moralism, religiosity, and dead. I don't care how good you are. There are going to be certain people that push your buttons, and you're not going to be kind to them, tenderhearted, and you certainly won't forgive them. And they may be sitting right next to you, like your spouse, okay? Or your children, or your best friend. Okay. But here's what makes that verse work. Connect the dots. As God in Christ forgave you. That's what makes it work. That's grace-based. That's a healthy church. Listen, healthy churches are made of healthy individuals who are part of healthy home groups. Because individuals are seeking, fighting the fight to connect the dots between gospel truth and gospel conduct. Well, I don't feel like doing gospel conduct. I am sick of her being mean to me and berating me every time I come home. And I forget the gospel. But I got to fight in the midst of her or him or them being mean to you or mad or angry or, or hurtful or taking advantage of you, I stop and I say, gospel truth is this. God forgave me in Christ when I deserved his punishment. And I'm going to fight with all that's in me. I'm going into the, into the jaws of hell, okay, and say, I'm going to forgive and be kind and tenderhearted because God forgave and was kind and tenderhearted for me. And home group leaders, you've got to help people connect those dots. Because every day, people are mean to us, and we're tempted to respond in kind. Aren't they? Aren't they? And the final example, oh my, is to men. Ephesians 5.25. Goodness. Connect this dot, men. You ready? Husbands, love your wives. Okay. I'll define what love is. <laughs> Whatever love is to me, you know. <laughs> Honey, I'm loving you watching ESPN Sports Center. I'm just giving you lots of free time over there. <laughs> no, 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 pal. Let's read the whole verse. Oh, read the whole verse, are we? Okay. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And don't stop there. And gave himself up for her. Can I connect a dot for every man here that's married? Did God love you? Because it says, as Christ loved the church, are you part of the church? Did he love you? What did that love look like for you? Well, let me help you connect another dot. These are great. By the way, you connect enough of these dots and you get a little picture, okay? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> We're going to graduate here. Let me connect another dot for you. Romans 5 
says that the love of God was shed abroad in your heart and that Christ died for you when you were yet his enemy. So did he love you? Yeah. (laughs) Does it feel like your wife's your enemy right now? Yeah, kind of, sort of right now. (laughs) There's a little battle going on in the old household. Great. As Christ loved you when you were his enemy, you love her. Oh, let me connect another dot for you. What does love look like? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Kind. Oh. But you can do it. Because God loved you. Because God loved you. All right. There are many dots to be connected. May you spend the rest of your life connecting gospel dots, gospel truth, to gospel conduct. May you plumb the depths of the cross of Christ. Because if you don't, point three, if you don't fight for your very lives, you will be shipwrecked. Look at verses 19b and 20 of 1 Timothy 1. What does it say? Sadly, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now catch this. Whom I have handed over to Satan that they may not learn to blaspheme. What does that mean? I thought as Christians we weren't supposed to hand anybody over to Satan. I mean, he's the enemy, right? I don't hand over like my friends to my enemies. Here, take my enemy. But Paul wrote that. Paul wrote that. It's talking about church discipline. Sad to say, we're in the midst of a church discipline right now with an individual whose life has been shipwrecked. Why? Because they fought, they failed to fight the good fight of faith. What, what Paul says here, fight the good warfare. They quit the fight. They said, you know what? Pino and these guys over at Palm Vista, they look good, they sound good. I even think they're real, but I can never reach that. I'm just a loser. Or I'm just not that committed. So since I can't do what they're asking me to do, what they say scripture, I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere where I don't feel guilty every time I walk in the doors. And we quit the fight, don't we? Oh, don't quit the fight. Don't quit the fight. Because if you do, you'll shipwreck your life and the life of your children and wives, if you're men, of your husbands and children, if you're single, of those around you. If you were to study the British Navy in 1800, you would learn that the man who had watch on that ship was a very important man. In fact, he held the lives of everyone on that ship in his hands. And for that reason, if you would have been a sailor in the British Navy in the 1800s, and if you would have been a habitual practicer of falling asleep on the watch, you would have been subject to the following. After the third time that you fell asleep on watch, they would have taken you, 
and they would have put you in a net and they would have tied you on the bow, which is at the front of the ship. These bows would have stretched out for yards. They would have tied you from the bow, suspended between the bow of the ship and the water below in a net. And they would have given you three things, a casket of water, loaf of bread, and a knife. And they would have left you there. And here's what you would have had to decide. When the water and the bread were done, here was your decision. Wait until you starved to death and died, or cut yourself out of the net and fall immediately right in front of the boat, which would have crushed you to death. That was your choice. Now you might be thinking, now that's pretty serious stuff, and it is. But here is why it was so serious. Because the man on watch of a vessel in the 1800s, he was the only eyes and the only ears to guide that vessel. There was no radar back then. He literally held the lives and well-being of every crew member of the captain himself in his hands. And if he fell asleep on the watch, that boat very well could be shipwrecked on the rocks or attacked by an enemy. And so today, brothers and sisters, my question to you is, are you awake on deck? Or have you let your life just slide into some gospel-less religiosity? Perhaps stumbling through the motions, but not fighting the good fight to take gospel truths and link them to gospel conduct? Or do you know somebody that has succumbed to that? You don't see him around anymore. Oh, this is my appeal. Join the fight. Get in the game. Wake up. Because your life depends upon it. The life of this church depends upon it. The very kingdom of God has been entrusted to us. Will we respond in kind? Will we respond in kind? I think the greatest challenge at Palm Vista is to simply do this. Share with you, this is what the Bible says. This is the gospel. And then in the course of home group or conversations or friendships, you help each other connect the dots. Help each other connect the dots. And as that happens, that's like the ligaments and the sinews that hold a body together. And the body is strong. You can build muscles. You can lift weights. You have substance. And if it doesn't happen, the body atrophies. So here's my appeal to you. Go to home group Wednesday night. Walk through these application questions and seek to make to keep the gospel central in your life. Let's bow our heads.
Lord, I pray for my dear friends here. What I'm sensing right now from the Lord is that there are some of you that have stopped fighting. No one knows it yet, but you're no, long, you're no longer being watchful. I believe the Lord alluded to this in worship through some of the prophetic words. about repenting of the fear of the fight and what God's called you to. I believe God alluded to it through the prayer for the children who have been raised in the church all their lives. And some of you have stopped fighting and you're asleep. And God wants to wake you up because your ship is headed for the rocks and disaster. So if that is you, I would like to pray for you. And I'd like the rest of you to join me silently in your hearts. Because there's a lot that depends on it. Father, I pray for those children who have grown up in the church all their life, who have stopped fighting and are drifting and heading for the rocks. Oh Lord, wake them up with the gospel, with the good news. And let them turn from their wicked ways. In Jesus' name. I believe what God is saying to you, if that prayer was for you, is that as soon as the service is over, you grab your parent, if they're not available, your very best friend that you can confide in, and you confess everything. Now, I believe the other group that God is addressing would be the men and the women in this church who have stopped fighting. And I think that God is speaking to you as well. So let me pray for you. If you're one of those that stopped fighting, prayers for you. Believe that God's going to work right now. Right where you're at, in your seat. Lord, I pray that you would give courage to the men and women in this church that have simply lost courage. Give faith to those who have listened too long to the voices of the world, Satan in their own flesh. Enemies without, enemies within. Who have lied, deceived. Even their own heart that wants to be deceived. Whether it's some that have said, I can't change, I'm going to do this sin till the day I die, so I'm just not going to feel guilty about it anymore. Whether it's the one that says, I'm not going to forgive them, I don't care what he says, I have the right to be angry. Whether it's the one who is hopeless of ever seeing promises given to them fulfilled. Lord, 
Lord, it's a fight of faith. They're all wrestling with faith. So, Lord, give them faith to join the fight, to get up. They're not asleep at the wheel. They've gone underneath and they're hiding because they don't want to fight anymore. God, give them courage to stand up, get out into the open, and to fight according to the prophecies given to them, which is the gospel. Oh God, I pray that in Jesus' name.